Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, 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 root for the Red Sox. If they don't win, it's a shame. Which they might not. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game welcome everybody welcome back to another episode of murph's boston sports talk i am your host james murphy and yesterday was opening day across major league baseball and today is opening day for your boston red sox i am so excited for not just this season but just today in general it feels like it's a holiday i feel like i'm waking up on christmas for the second day in a row because yesterday we were having this feeling that we were going to play some baseball and it got canceled till today, so we get to go through it again. Yippee, yippee, yippee. I'm super excited for opening day baseball. I'm so excited for Red Sox baseball. It's going to be an interesting, fun season. Expectations are both low and high for this team. So it's going to be intriguing to see where they kind of roll from here with it. Uh, a lot of stuff to go over with the Red Sox as we approach opening day. I wanted to spend today talking about... You know, the roster, the game yesterday, what we can expect from the team as well. But we're going to have to kind of uh, mix and match and kind of talk about the team, talk about the season moving forward, and just kind of our, you know, thoughts leading into opening day, which is now today. But before we do any of that, you know, I'm not going to do this every episode, of course, but I do kind of want to run over some scoreboards from yesterday's opening day because, like I said, opening day is kind of a holiday in sports uh, specifically for baseball fans of course and I just want to go over briefly and quickly just to kind of catch you up to speed because yes I was watching almost every game yesterday and I did catch some of the Bruins as well which I will talk about later in this episode however let's just first run over some stand uh, not standings excuse me (laughs) some scores from yesterday and uh, let's start with the Tigers and the Indians. So the Indians were visiting Detroit. It was a very snowy game, but the Tigers won 3-2. to two. And Shane Bieber, the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner, does walk away with the loss. Moving over to our first interleague matchup of the year where we have the Minnesota Twins visiting the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers won 6-5 to five as they come from behind to beat the Twins in extra innings, only taking 10 innings. Josh Hader got the win there. Uh, moving over to the south side of Chicago, we have the Pittsburgh Pirates defeating the Chicago Cubs 5-2. Very interesting game from the both Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates because Cubs have high expectations, Pittsburgh Pirates don't. Yes, it's only one game, but it will be very interesting to see the direction the Pirates go with this season. Uh, moving down to Philly, moving up 
uh, across uh, Chicago. I guess it's more across to Philadelphia. We have the Braves and the Phillies. And I was very intrigued about this game because it was a very close, low-scoring game throughout the, the whole day. And the Phillies walk away with a 3-2 win in extra inning where Gene secures RBI single, gives the Phillies the win, like I said, in 10 innings. That was a very interesting game for me because I do have very high expectations for the Braves where a lot of people are rather down on them. And a lot of people have high expectations for the Phillies, and I'm not so uh, keen about them as other people are. So I was just very intrigued with that matchup there. Moving over to the West Coast, we have the Diamondbacks visiting the new revamped and dynamic San Diego Padres, where Eric Hosmer's uh, Padres beat the Diamondbacks 8-7 to in wild opener, where Eric Hosmer's had a home run among his three hits and drove in three runs for the Padres. So I was watching that game and it was five to one by like the fifth inning or whatever. I tune away and then I come back and it's six to five Diamondbacks. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened? <laughs> but yes, they would end up coming back from I guess behind, you know, since they were losing to win eight to seven in regulation. Uh moving to the Mountain West, we have the Dodgers losing to the Colorado Rockies eight to five. Bellinger, Cody Bellinger had a home run, but it was negated, and the Rockies end up walking away with the win. Let's see, the little note here says, on an afternoon, Cody Bellinger had a home run negated due to a base running mistake. <laughs> oh, can we get a highlight on that? Hold on, I'm going to be right back. I need to watch this highlight. All right, so after further investigation, so I originally didn't catch this because I was watching the other games, the East Coast games that were kind of winding down for the day. So I did actually miss this in real time, but going back and watching this, um, very, very bizarre. And let me tell you, the the note for it, the game says that it was Bellinger's uh, base running, but it wasn't Bellinger's uh, base running mistake. So what had happened is uh, Justin Turner was on first base. Cody Bellinger hits a fly ball to left field that kind of hits the top of the wall and the left fielder for the Rockies it kind of nicks his glove a little bit it still goes over the fence so it is still a home run regardless if it hit the glove or hit the top of the fence a home run is a home run as long as it crosses that yellow line which are you see at the top of a lot of um, walls in outfields across baseball which it did so technically it is a home run for Cody Bellinger this was in the third inning so that would have gave the Dodgers a 2-0 lead at the time but since it kind of nicked the glove and the way the ball kind of fell, usually when the ball just kind of soars over the wall, it just kind of goes straight down to wherever it lands. Since it kind of hit the glove, it took a weird little bounce, you know, out from nicking the glove and the top of the wall and then kind of falling in. And when you're running the base pads, you know, Justin Turner must have got confused thinking that the ball was actually caught by the Rockies left fielder because it didn't take that straight shot down into I believe it was the bullpen for the Rockies that the ball landed and since it kind of nicked the glove in the wall, Turner kind of thought that it was caught. So since he was a couple steps around second base, he immediately turns around and books it back to first base because he doesn't want to get doubled up, you know, for a double play. Meanwhile, Cody Bellinger was rounding first base thinking that his ball was over the fence and with Turner sprinting back to the bag, Cody Bellinger kind of just stopped and was like, hey, yeah, that's a home run, bro. But Turner just booked it still to first base, causing cody bellinger to pass justin turner on the base pass which is illegal therefore automatically cody bellinger is out regardless if the ball went over the fence or not if it was in play ground ball in the gap wherever the ball is doesn't matter home run or in play if someone passes a runner on the base pass 
that player is out. So Bellinger, by rule, passed Justin Turner, although Turner was running back to first base, and that is what had happened there. That would have gave the Dodgers a 2-0 lead in the third inning. However, did not happen, and the Dodgers would go on to lose 8-5 to to the Rockies. Rockies, you know, after trading Nolan Arenado away, they were able to play some small ball and still score five, uh, eight runs against the Dodgers. Uh, very interesting game. Kershaw did not look good at all, but I think that they'll be okay in Los Angeles nonetheless. But throwing it back to a former Red Sox pitcher, Daniel Bard, uh, he won the comeback play of the year for the uh, National League last year. He looked really good again uh, yesterday, getting the save for the Rockies. Um, I'm rooting nothing but the best for this guy. I mean, he was the next up-and-coming relief pitcher for the Sox. He was supposed to be the second coming of Papelbon, and then he kind of, you know, shit hit the fan. He was out of the league for a few years, and now he's back. And he's contributing a lot to that Rockies team last year. And I mean, if he's going to be the closer this year, then, you know, all the power to him. Nothing but the best over there for Daniel Bard. Moving to uh, the Cardinals against the Cincinnati Reds. Goldschmidt, Arenado, deliver for the Cardinals as they open up fast as they top the Reds 11-6. to um, Cardinals, a lot of people pick them to win the division, as do I. But I think Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, that 1-2 punch, or I guess you could say 3-4 punch, is going to be nice. I didn't watch any of this game because it was like 11-4, to you know. And I just, I just really wasn't ready. To, I didn't really want to watch a blowout. Let me see the lineup. They do have, oh, they have Goldschmidt hitting second and Arenado hitting third. I just don't know how I feel about how, I mean, I get it. Having your quote-unquote best hitter hit second. So, you know, you get one more at bat, you know, sooner in the lineup, all that good stuff. But I don't know. <clears throat> but so I guess your 2-3 punch there in St. Louis is one of the best, you know, combos we have in baseball right now moving to miami the south coast the sunshine state i hate when it does this the thing just kind of like goes back to the top of the screen nonetheless the rays win one to nothing with an um austin meadows home run in the eighth inning with two outs uh my uh the miami marlins almost kind of squeaked that out they're only able to uh, salvage three hits and the Tampa Bay Rays win one nothing with only five hits, but one of them being a solo shot in the eighth inning. Um, I got really nothing to say. That game was honestly so boring. I mean, the only reason why I had interest in it is because it was a close game late. But I was able to see that Austin Meadows home run, and that ball was tanked. So I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing else there. But let's move over to the Texas Rangers at Kansas City facing off the Royals. That was just an absolute marathon of the game. I remember tuning into that in the fourth inning, and it was already like 10-8. to 8. I was like, what are we doing? Is there any pitching at all? But nonetheless, the Royals won 14-10 to 10 against the Rangers. Uh, Rangers coughed up three errors. Can't be doing that. You can't be doing that at all. Benintendi, let's just kind of mention about him for a second. He was hitting second behind Whit Merrifield for the Royals. And he had one hit in five at-bats. He struck out twice, walking once, and scoring two runs. I remember I was tuning into this game real quick because I saw Andrew Benintendi was hitting. And Kim was next to me and she was like, whoa, he looks different. Whoa, he looks like a kid. No beard. I was like, well, I mean, yeah, he's clean shaven, no long hair. Uh, looks like he lost a little bit of weight, which, you know, was kind of the thing that he was going for after gaining some weight to try to get more power for the Red Sox last year which ultimately didn't really work out for him. But Andrew Benintendi going to 
I'm sorry, one for five in his Royals debut in Kansas City. Let's see, let's see. The next game we have was the Chicago White Sox at the Los Angeles Angels. Trout Pujols leads Angels late rally past White Sox 4-3. White Sox occurring an error. I was already passed out when this game got on. I, I yeah, I, I wasn't really, um, I, was, I kind of fell asleep, I'm not going to lie. So these West Coast games I did not get to catch because I was in bed by like 10, 10.30, so I apologize for that. Anyways, let's round out the last two West Coast games as we have the Astros beating the Athletics in Oakland 8-1. Also, the Astros committed two errors, but they were able to keep the Athletics at bay with only one run, where Zach Greinke shut down the A's to win 8-1 on opening day. He pitched six shutout innings, and you know, just catching the highlights before recording this, Zach Greinke still looks as good as ever. Looks like he's in Cy Young form again, but I mean, Zach Greinke is Zach Greinke. There's nothing we can do about it. Then we move to our last game, our second interleague matchup. It is the San Francisco Giants visiting the Seattle Mariners up in Washington State, where the Mariners actually won 8-7, both teams committing one error apiece. The Giants scoring, or getting 10 hits, I should say. And the Mariners only getting 5, but still able to score 8 runs. Interesting dynamic out there. The Giants wanting to be competitive. They look like they're trying to compete for a playoff position in the National League. They have a few nice pieces, but are they really there? I would say no. The Mariners are in complete rebuild mode. Uh, stop doing that. See, he just did it again. Just went jumped right to the front of the uh, top of the page. I really like what I'm going to see from the Mariners. Not just uh, this season, but you know they got Jad Kalanick. They have... Oh, what's his name? Oh, Rodri- Julio Rodriguez. Uh, two stud prospects in their system. They're going to be, you know, dynamite players in that outfield. I am looking forward to it when they get the call up. But we do have one more game to mention. Oh, I guess two more games to mention. The Mets uh, against the Washington Nationals also got postponed, but we're not going to talk about that today. We will be talking about the Blue Jays versus the New York Yankees. The Yankees lose. And yes, they did. They lost in extra innings 3-2 to to the Toronto Blue Jays. I stated at the beginning of the year, or I guess before the beginning of the year, that my meme pick for the division is the Blue Jays. Ironically, they win. My realistic pick is the Yankees, but I'm going to troll around the whole season and say the Blue Jays will win the division. And... They looked good. The pitching looked really good. I mean, they had um who started? Uh, Ryu started. He only gave up that two-run home run to um Gary Sanchez in the second inning. Other than that, I mean, he was he was pretty lights out and then that bullpen too was killer. It really shut the door. Garrett Cole also giving up two runs. Uh let's see. He gave up one in the second and one in the sixth. Went five and a third inning. Uh, you don't want to see that. I mean, the two runs, nothing you can do about that. But the Yankees bullpen also was able to kind of shut it down a little bit, be some nails. But at the end of the day, a loss is a loss. And the Yankees, I don't know. I just don't think, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Judge, two strikeouts. Hicks, three strikeouts. Stanton, three strikeouts. Torres, two strikeouts. Ursula, two strikeouts. And then the... Top 25 player in baseball, DJ LeMayhew, went 0 for 4 with a walk. Yippee-doo. So, anyways, that is my little recap of Major League Baseball's opening day. 
I said at the top of the episode, I'm not going to do this every day on every podcast. I just wanted to do it for opening day just to fill your baseball need, you know. And let's kind of direct ourselves over to the Boston Red Sox, which is what we want to be talking about. But first, I do kind of want to touch on the opening day roster for the Red Sox, which was released uh, on Wednesday. I believe it was released either Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon. And it's very interesting roster, actually, because they are going to carry 14 pitchers. Now, the roster is 26 men large, and they're going to carry 14 pitchers. And that is going to leave themselves 12 positional players. So, nine, uh, eight starting uh, players, and then they're going to be four off the bench. Now, for the pitchers, we have Matt Andreese, Matt Barnes, Austin Bryce, Nathan Eovaldi, who was your opening day starter today. Darwinson Hernandez, Tanner Hawk, Adam Ottavino, Martin Perez, Nick Pavetta, Garrett Richard, Hirakazu Sawamura. I know I'm pronouncing that so wrong. I'm so sorry. Josh Taylor, Phillips Valdez, and Garrett Whitlock. Those are your 14 pitchers ahead of opening day today. Catchers, this is where we move to position players. The catchers are Kevin Ploiecki and Christian Vasquez. Infielders Christian Arroyo, Alexander Bogarts, Bobby Dahlback, and Raphael Devers. Moving to the outfield, you have Franchi Cordero, JD Martinez, Hunter Renfro, and Alex Verdugo. And rounding off your roster, you have two utility men in Marwin Gonzalez and Kiki Hernandez. Uh, let's see. At the bottom, there's a little side note. Along with Rodriguez, pitchers Ryan Brazier and Chris Sale are starting the season on the injured list. So we have. Eduardo Rodriguez, who was placed on the IL a couple days ago, he is not on the opening day roster. Brazier and Sale, obviously, we both knew about with injuries going into spring training and into the regular season. So once they get healthy, um, moves will be made. And it seems like moves will be made with the 14 pitchers that we have. So once those pitchers get healthy, whoever's struggling the most will probably get bumped down to the alternate site over in Worcester. But... One thing I'm very shocked about with this team is no Michael Chavis. What? I mean, let me Michael let me let me get Michael Chavis's stats. Michael Chavis spring training. I just I really thought he was going to make this team and I understand I understand we're not going to get any spring training stats, are we? No, we're not. Spring training stats. I understand why he didn't make the team. I do. I thought he was going to. Oh, we're not going to get any spring training stats. Oh, that's so depressing. They're like all, all gone already. Whatever. Whatever. I'm just going to keep going. I understand why he didn't make the roster, the opening day roster, and it's because there wasn't enough space. Alex Cora and the Red Sox wanted to ca- carry a bunch of pitchers, especially ahead of opening day, opening weekend, and early in the season where it's still kind of cold. You don't really know where your lineup's going to be, or even your pitching is going to be where your pitching is a huge question mark, especially that roster. I mean, not that roster, that rotation. Wrong R word. Where your rotation is kind of questionable. So having ample amount of pitchers in the bullpen to kind of help suffice that need makes a lot of sense. You don't want to burn through a lot of bullpen arms early in the season. I get carrying 14 pitchers with that perspective. But then you look at the um then you look at the positional players that made the team. Christian Arroyo, Franchi Cordero. I mean, I'm going to say Franchi Cordero though he missed the majority of spring training, though he looks nice in the games he played, he hit that moonshot, you know, late in spring training. 
but he's only honestly only on the roster probably because of the Benintendi trade, how he was the big cornerstone piece in the Red Sox return. So I get that. I think he could have used a little time down the alternate site personally, just to kind of get him fully acclimated and up to speed. And then Christian Arroyo, how he doesn't have any more options left. So you can't option him down where he would be placed on waivers first. Michael Chavis, on the other hand, does have options where you can push him down to the minor leagues and then call him back up as needed. After hearing about this news of what the roster would look like, I was able to kind of read a little report from Cora saying that even though certain players didn't make the opening day roster, that doesn't mean they won't be contributing factors to the Sox this year. And I completely agree with that. It is a long season. It is a treacherous, going to be a 162 game uh, marathon. And over the course of the season, ample players come up, ample players go down. It is what it is with baseball. So I do expect to see Michael Chavis up here and contributing, hopefully rather sooner than later. But for now, it is what it is. Hopefully that does, doesn't discourage him because after meeting him um, a couple years ago, he has a great attitude, great personality, and I'm just very shocked and surprised that he wasn't on this team because I really feel like he could contribute. But I get why he isn't but hopefully he's not down there too long and yes I am selling out on Michael Chavis because I did meet him in person he's a nice guy and he hits the ball very well he's versatile and he can hit the ball so with the opening day roster pitchers and positional players covered let's talk about the Red Sox opening day lineup so the lineup was released like I don't know a half hour before I started recording this and I do kind of want to mention about it because I did kind of predict what the opening day lineup would look like. And I was kind of wrong. But it's just, it's, you know, something I did. It was fun, you know. Obviously, you're not going to be like, <laughs> like, no. I mean, let's just talk about it. So, second baseman Enrique Hernandez leading off. Didn't see that coming. I really didn't. I thought it was going to be Alex Verdugo there. Speaking of Verdugo, he's batting second in center field. So Hernandez hitting leadoff is very nice to see. And I remember there was a report that I saw. I don't think I have it anymore up. But it was when the Red Sox were pursuing Kike Hernandez. He told Cora that, you know, he's going to, you know, he wants to be the leadoff hitter and set the tone, kind of show that leadership style. And Alex Cora put him up to the challenge. And Kike Hernandez passed with flying colors. I mean... He is going to be a stud leadoff hitter for us, hopefully. He's a very versatile weapon, both playing the infield and the outfield. I'm very excited to see what he can do. Hopefully, he can be a long-term option for us at second base, which has kind of eluded us ever since Dustin Pedroia got injured a few years ago. But one thing about Kiki Hernandez is he's not just a second baseman. Come mid-game um, lineup changes, he can bounce around whatever to kind of fit and mold your needs. So, like I said, Hernandez leading off, Verdugo second, J.D. Martinez hitting fourth as your designated hitter, followed by Xander Bogarts cleaning up at shortstop. I thought Bogarts would have been second. I, I really did, kind of ahead of Martinez, but I kind of like where this is going so far. I think I would have preferred Bogarts hitting third and Martinez hitting fourth, just to give Bogarts that extra at-bat with runners ahead of him. Not that J.D. Martinez won't get on base, but with Hernandez, Verdugo, and Bogarts, I kind of like that 1-2-3 a little bit more, where um, J.D. Martinez can drive them all in, drive the ball out, advance the runners, where he's just kind of a more of a smarter hitter with more runners on base. 
Then we have Raphael Devers, the third baseman, in the five hole, followed by Hunter Renfro hitting sixth in right field, which uh, kind of surprised me, to be honest. I Like I said, I thought it would have been Marwin Gonzalez or Enrique Hernandez over there, but Hernandez you know, is going to be our second baseman, which I'm totally okay with, and Ru- Hunter Renfro had a phenomenal spring training, so you can't take that away from him. This dude earned a roster spot. spot. He earned a opening day a start, and he's going to be sixth in the Sox lineup, which is well-deserving because the dude was cra- uh, cranking the ball during spring training, hitting the ball, driving the ball, all that good stuff, playing some defense. I mean, we've all seen a few highlights of him diving for balls, throwing runners out, followed by Marwin Gonzalez in the seventh spot playing left field so the other utility man for the red sox is getting the start come that fifth sixth seventh inning um red sox gonna have some options with their you know key positional pieces martin gonzalez enrique hernandez a hunter renfro can play the outfield and it's gonna be very interesting because now it's like you know i don't see martin gonzalez being a permanent starter in this lineup but he absolutely could be and i won't hate it if he is but I just kind of think that, you know, maybe kind of down the season we'll see, hopefully we'll see Jaron Duran kind of get up there and get some playing time as well. And then at the eighth spot is your catcher, Christian Vasquez. No question there who's going to be the starting catcher. Followed by Bobby Dahlbeck rounding out the lineup in the nine hole playing first base. Dude had a phenomenal spring training, similar to what I said about Hunter Renfro. He deserved a roster spot. He deserved the opening day start. And he just crushed the ball. He cranked the ball. He played some good defense over at first base. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck's a third baseman by trade, but he's over at first base because you have Devers at third and you need a first baseman. Uh, I like what Dahlbeck has been doing this spring. I liked what he was doing. I remember I caught a Paw Sox game in 2019 when he first got the call up there. He looked very good. Actually, it was his first Paw Sox game that he got called up to, which I was at. And the dude was just a stud there too. So a couple of years later, fast forward in the opening day lineup for your Boston Red Sox. I kind of thought he would have maybe been a little higher, like 7 or 8 maybe, because, you know, that 9 spot can be pressurous too because that's almost like your second leadoff hitter in an essence because it's your it's the hitter before the top of your lineup and your top of your lineup is supposed to set the tone, be your best hitters and all that good stuff. I mean, we've seen in the past, you know, one hitters, two hitters, driving the ball, getting a lot of RBIs, and they can't get those RBIs if there's nobody on base to kind of you know score right so Bobby Dahlbeck being the nine hitter um probably just because it's opening day he'll probably be down there for a little bit just so the you know the speed of actual MLB games slows down and he can catch up to it a little bit makes a lot of sense I thought maybe a Marwin Gonzalez would have been down there just because he's more experienced he um can kind of set the tone he you know hit in the heart of the Astros lineup when he was over there in Houston during the World Series run uh I don't hate Bobby Dahlbeck being down there, but I completely understand why he is. But that is your Red Sox opening day lineup for today. Let me just quickly uh, brief over it. We have Enrique Hernandez leading off at second base. Alex Verdugo in center field following him. The DH, J.D. Martinez in the three spot, followed by your cleanup hitter, Alexander Bogarts at shortstop. Rafael Devers in the middle of your order at third base, followed by Hunter Renfro in the six hole in right field. Marwin Gonzalez is your left fielder batting 7th with Christian Vasquez behind the plate in the 8th spot followed by a potential Rookie of the Year candidate in Bobby Dahlbeck at first base. And yes, I just touched upon him being Rookie of the Year candidate because he does have a strong case this year. A lot of people think he will be. 
And honestly, if he can play anything like he did in spring training, absolutely without a doubt will win Rookie of the Year and also be a huge contributing factor to this Boston Red Sox team where you could see him sneak up to maybe the four or five or six spot in the lineup. And I'm dead serious about that, no cap. But all that being said, all that being said, I'm looking forward to... Oh, and I forgot to mention. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, time out, time out, time out, time out. I forgot to mention Nathan Uvalde is your starting pitcher for your Boston Red Sox on opening day. He's going to go up against John Means, the left-hander for the Baltimore Orioles. But Nathan Uvalde, for the second straight season, will be your opening day roster. He is stepping stepping in for Eduardo Rodriguez because Rodriguez was placed on the IL with a quote-unquote dead arm, which is very concerning. But we'll kind of talk about that at another time. But I'm very excited for Nathan Eovaldi to start. A lot of people love him. I love him. I think he's a little overpaid. But, I mean, the dude's a stud. I mean, when he's pitching right, 100-mile-an-hour fastball, can throw seven shutout innings. The dude put his heart and soul into that Game 3 against the Dodgers that time in the World Series. So, he, you, you love him. You do. I mean, you don't want to see him go. He's kind of the glue in the pitching rotation, right? He was, you know, kind of injury prone, but he seems to have established a little bit of consistency for us. And that's kind of what we need right now, especially in that rotation. So all that being said, a lot of highs, a lot of lows for those Red Sox um, in terms of expectations. But at the end of the day, it's excitement right now. And once the season rolls on, we'll be able to kind of gauge whether those expectations are true in terms of being high or low. But as of now, like I said, it's nothing but expectation. We have a full slate of baseball ahead of us for the 2021 season. And I am so excited. I'm so happy I was able to dive into it today. Thank you so much for, I'm not ending the episode right now, but I'm just saying thank you so much for just listening to me ramble about baseball because, you know, yesterday was so exciting. It was a blessing to have baseball back on the big screen after a long winter without it and having a full slate of games this year let's get it so thank you so much for listening to me um yabba 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 about baseball let's just kind of transition over to hockey shall we let me close out these red Sox tabs so i can just focus on the bruins right now and speaking of the bruins what the app happened last night uh, oh, the Bruins, bro. The Bruins. What happened? So I was, I was out at a restaurant uh, last night watching the Bruins game. You know, went with a little family dinner at a restaurant called Cellos. It's in Providence, Smithfield, Rhode Island, Attleboro, and East Providence, I believe it is. Somewhere on that board. I think it's East Providence or maybe Seekonk. I don't know where the border is. Anyways, there's a couple locations. I'm sure you've been to one if you're around the area. But that's where the family and I were at last night. The Bruins were on it, followed by a couple of baseball games as well. But I was kind of tuned into the Bruins. And it was a great first period. It was 0-0. I, it was a great time. I mean, the Bruins and the Penguins, the Bruins were keeping up with them. They were, you know, going hit for hit. They were going, you know, good shot for good shot. Daniel Vladar looked really good in that first period against a really good Penguins team. You know, feeling good about that first period. That is going to be a good game ahead of, ahead of us. And then just before I left, the Bruins gave up a goal. So the Penguins going up one nothing. And then I get home and look what I come home to. 
it's four to one. It just happened like that. And it's like, what? Yo, what? I, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And I'm kind of exaggerating because the Penguins got two in the second, two in the third, and the Bruins only got one measly goal in the third, ultimately losing four to one, like I said. But what, what the hell happened? I mean, you were playing so good for 20 minutes and then you just shit yourself for the next 20 minutes. It doesn't make any sense. What is the problem? I've, I told you, we need offense. We need offense. But the past few games has shown us that we also need defense. And yes, we need both. And I'm not going to harp on it again. But this Bruins team, I will harp on this. This Boston Bruins team better address the fact that they need top six scoring from their forwards. Because they're not getting it done. I mean, they're not. You look at uh, Marchand. He got the only goal last night. And he's obviously on your first line. Um, Bergeron and Zaboro got your, got the assist there. Uh, let's look at um, the Bruins game against the Devils, right? So they score four goals. I mean, shootout gives you that, that extra goal there. But anyways, they score four goals where Marchand scored, Grizzly scored, McAvoy and Nick Ritchie scored. Yes, Nick Ritchie's on your lower lines. But Nick Ritchie is not a top six forward. He is not. And we all know that. As, what, as much as we might like Nick Ritchie here and there, He's not a top six forward. Let's look at the Bruins' 3-2 win over the Buffalo Sabres on March 27th. We have Nick Ritchie getting another goal and Matt Grizzlick getting a goal with Craig Smith getting your last goal there. Defense is getting a lot of goals there for you. Defense getting a lot of goals for you. Uh, the Islanders' 4-3 loss in overtime on March 25th. That was a Thursday game. Let's check out who got goals. Anders Bjork, Stephen Kampfer, and Carson Kuhlman. The Bruins need top six scoring. They need top six scoring. Now, I'm just going to do it for fun. I'm just going to do it for fun. I'll do one more. Bruins 4-1 win on March 18th against the Sabres. Let's see. Bruins, Pasternak, Jake DeBrusque, Greg, uh, Greg McKegg, and Craig Smith. Do you feel comfortable with the names that I've listed being consistent goal scorers outside of maybe Brad Marchand, who I mentioned a couple times. Obviously, you're comfortable with David Pasternak getting a goal, obviously. But the other names, Nick Ritchie, Anders Bjork, Greg Smith, Stephen Kampfer, are you comfortable with those names, relying on those names to score you goals night in and night out, like you are with maybe Pasternak, Marchand, or Bergeron? I'll sit and let you think about that for a second. No, you're not comfortable with that. That's why this needs to be addressed. So you don't lose 4 nothing to the Rangers on March 13th. So you don't lose 4-3 to to the Islanders on March 25th. So you don't lose to the Penguins 4-1 to on March 15th and last night. Oh, plus you lost one nothing to the Devils on Sunday, March 28th. You need to address top six scoring. You need to push your chips into the pot for a top six forward. Now, I mentioned names a couple episodes ago, so I'm not going to do that again. We all know who's out there. Bad teams have good players that are available. Yes, Bruins need to capitalize. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, 
go get Jack Eichel. Yes, I would love Jack Eichel, but I just don't think it's possible or realistic. You don't have the ammunition unless you give up five first-round picks. Jake DeBrusque, uh, Stanika, and, and I don't know, someone else, a couple other people. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But you can go out there and still get top six forwards without having to give up a lot. Now, if it wasn't for David Krejci, uh, Charlie Coyle would probably be your second string center. He's that good. Right now, he could even be your second string right forward. And I think the Bruins would be okay with him being over there in terms of your top six forward pile. But moving Charlie Coyle up would diminish your third string line as you would lose a third string center. So you can't do that because you need to have four solid lines. And right now, the Bruins, I think, only have two. Bruins, please don't be what the Celtics were this trade deadline. Don't just go out there and get uh, uh, Mo Wagner, a Luke Cornett. Evan Fournier was a nice little addition. He only gave up two draft picks, but and he's not playing well in his first couple games with the Celtics. So, ugh, please. Go out there and make a splash. You need to. We need you to. And otherwise, you're not looking good in terms of the standings, points, goals for. Your goals against are very good. And your last 10 sucks. Please go make a move. Us Boston Bruins fans are begging you to do so. I said last episode that the next seven games, the next seven games between you and the Penguins on last night, you and the Penguins now tomorrow. Uh, the Flyers coming into town on the fifth on Monday. Then you go into the Phil- then you go into Philadelphia on Tuesday the next day. Playing the Capitals on Thursday the eighth. The Flyers again in Philadelphia on April tenth. That's a Saturday, and then home against the Capitals on April eleventh. Those seven games. You need to go five and one, and you've already lost your one, and you have a game against. The Dynamic Penguins, the Playoff Hopeful Flyers, the Playoff Hopeful Flyers, the Excellent Capitals, the Playoff Hopeful Flyers, and uh, the Excellent Capitals. Oh, then luckily for you, you get a little cakewalk against the Sabres, and then you got the Islanders, Islanders, Capitals. You need to win five games. One loss. I'll give you one loss. It happens. And then one OT loss. In 14 possible points, you need to walk away with 11, and you already lost your one game to the Penguins last night. Doesn't look good at this moment right now with that little projection I gave this team. Because as it stands right now, the Bruins are going to collapse heavy. And if they collapse heavy, then might as well be sellers, right? Because what's the point of crawling yourself into the playoffs as the fourth seed and then getting bounced in the first round to the Capitals. Makes no sense to me. Makes no sense to me. Might as well try to trade off some pieces, get some assets, retool for next year, and push yourself next year. If that's the way you want to go, fine. Fine. Because if you go, I don't know, 2-3, in these seven games, what's the point? What's the point of you know being a hopeful... Bruins fan wanting that Stanley Cup and that Stanley Cup run. If you're just going to go out there and let's see, in the past 10 games, go 5-4-1. What's the point? And especially if you don't make any moves at this deadline, show me something. At least with the Celtics, this trade deadline showed me something. 
They went out, made a few moves. Okay? May not be the players we wanted or the players we hoped, but their moves nonetheless that showed us that they, hey, we're going to try and do this. Which is respectable. Though the moves were questionable, you can respect it. Bruins, do the same thing, please. But please make better moves. <laughs> please make better moves. But at the end of the day, just make moves. Please. Oh, my God. Why do these teams, why do these Boston teams not try, not put in the effort to do better? And you look at the Celtics. They were just kind of crawling around. And, you know, they go out and make a couple moves. But they still can't beat the Pelicans at home. Or they still can't beat the Mavericks at home. And then the Bruins have a crucial, crucial stretch ahead of them leading up to the trade deadline. The next seven games are crucial for them. And they go on and lose that first game. <sighs> it's, it's being a sports fan is a double-edged sword. You can either stab the other team in the heart and rip it out as you win and beat them in killer fashion. Or you can get stabbed in the chest and have your heart ripped out when they lose in miserable, depressing fashion. Ugh. You love it and you hate it being a sports fan. No matter what city you're from. You could be from Boston, New York, Los Angeles, Miami. Every sports team has gone through it. The highs and the highs and the highs of your sports franchise and the pitiful, pitiful lows of them as well. I mean, look at any team across all of baseball, all of hockey, football, and all of basketball. Whatever your favorite team is, has had the highest of highs, maybe winning a championship or you know having a dynamic player and then losing a championship or then losing a dynamic player and you're just like oh why is this happening to me why is this happening to my team but when you're doing oh oh so good winning championships signing great players trading for great players and developing great players you're like yippee we're on top of the world we got no problems in the world but all the ecstasy high of being on top of your game will eventually collapse. Look at the Patriots in this year. <laughs> Look at the Patriots this year. I mean, 20 years of dynamic success, and then they just right down. So over the course of, let's see, 12 months, I have lost uh, 12 months. Let's go 14 months. Let's go 14 months. Over the course of 14 months, I have lost Mookie Betts, Tom Brady, um, let's see. The Celtics, uh, the Red Sox sucked. The Patriots sucked. Oh, wait, no, the Red Sox sucked. Then the Bruins and Celtics lost in the playoffs miserably. Celtics were really close. Bruins were, ugh. But they both lost. Then the Patriots suck. Then, um... The Celtics are still sucking. The Bruins are on the brink of sucking terribly as bad as the Celtics. And the Red Sox trade Andrew Benintendi. That's what the past 14 months or so have been for Boston sports fans. But, hey, we got Franchi Cordero. We also traded for Evan Fournier. And we brought Cam Newton back. Yeah! 
Oh my god, Boston Sports needs help. We need help. But that help can be from Boston Sports teams doing something. And not bringing in a Mo Wagner or a Luke Cornett or maybe Evan Fournier actually playing good. Or maybe you could have addressed this issue a couple of months ago if you were the Celtics so you wouldn't be. Oh, let's just check real quick. I don't want to go on a Celtics tangent right now. But let's just check where they are. Ooh, they are in the eighth seed. Ten and a half games from first. One and a half games out from the playoffs. So that's pretty good. But you're only a game and a half from the fourth seed. Well, how about that? Maybe things are looking up for the Celtics. But when you're sitting at 23 and 25, hell no. You shouldn't be in this position to begin with. You should be what the Bucks are, 30 and 17. That's what you should be right now. Like I said, I'm not going to go on a Celtics tangent right now, but I will if I have to. I'm going to flip a coin. I'm going to go on Google. Oh, I'm already on Google. Um, flip a coin. Can I just flip a coin? Oh, perfect. Here we go. Alright, I'm going to flip a coin. Heads, I talk about the Celtics, and I go on a brutaling tangent about them. Tails, I don't, and I'll save it for another episode. Maybe, maybe, um, let's hold on, let me see, Celtics, when do they play again? Do they play tomorrow? No, they play tonight. Oh, they play tonight with the Rock. oh, against the Rocket. They suck. Maybe they'll lose again to this Rockets. Anyways, let's flip this coin. Heads, I will go on this tangent about the Celtics. Tail, yeah, tails, I won't. And I'll save it for Monday's episode after they play against the Rockets. And then they play on Easter Sunday against the Hornets. Welcome back, Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward. Anyways, let's flip this coin. Go! Heads or tails, heads or tails, heads or tails. Ah! It's tails, I'm not going to talk about them. Okay, you guys were spared. <laughs> you guys were spared. Bared. Anyways, I'm not going to go off on the Celtics and talk about this and that and all that bad stuff. But I will say, Celtics tonight against the Rockets, 7.30 tip-off. Hopefully the Celtics can get a dub there. Then they are home again against the Charlotte Hornets on Easter Sunday at 6 p.m. Hopefully, they I know the Hornets are pretty good. That would be a good game to win against there. Because the Hornets are in the four seed right now, so winning that game would be very, very nice. Then you got the Sixers on Tuesday, but obviously I'll have talked about the weekend on Murph's Boston Sports Talk for Monday's episode. However, these next two games gotta win. I mean, you're two games under 500. You can become 500 after two nice wins right here. The Rockets game should be a layup, and then the Hornets game is gonna be a tough game, but that's gonna be a game. That's a show me game, right? I mean, can you beat, which is. And the Charlotte Hornets, one of the competitive teams in the Eastern Conference, which is very surprising and awkward to say, but it's true. Can you do it? Be very interesting to see, and I'm very excited for that. Hopefully, Evan Fournier can turn it around a little bit. I mean, we need him to. I mean, we brought him in here to be another score, a supplement score to Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and Jalen Brown as well. So, we shall see. But speaking of Easter Sunday, I know the Celtics are playing. Any of you have uh, plans on Easter Sunday? If you celebrate and observe Easter, of course. Me, personally, I will be... Uh, Kim will be working, actually. And I won't be able to have Easter dinner until, like, ooh, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, maybe, when she gets home. So it's going to... 
be an interesting day. The whole family will be over, and we're going to have a grand old time. Uh, Red Sox will be also playing on Easter Sunday at 110, so I'll be looking forward to that as well. And I'm just very excited. You know, good, hopefully, hopefully, good things are around the corner for us as Boston sports fans. Red Sox, fresh Red Sox season starting up. Celtics in a tricky situation, but if they can turn this around, this will definitely be a nice, exciting story to tell. Bruins, they're still in it. They're still there. But if they can turn it around, it'll be a nice little story to kind of flip and tell. Then the Patriots, bunch of moves. You know, free agency is wounded down a little bit, and we got the draft coming up. Draft is less than a month away now. So definitely expect a lot more draft chatter to come as days go on and we get closer and closer to the draft. Anyways, that is everything I have for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me on Friday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I hope you had a phenomenal week, and I hope you have an even better weekend. It's going to be a little chilly. Hopefully the weather can kind of be consistently warmer next week as it's supposed to be, like mid to upper 50s all next week. We do have a bitter chill day today here in the New England area, and it's going to suck for the Red Sox having to play in this weather. But bless up. I've done it. They've done it. Let's get it, right? Anyways, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Merce Boston Sports Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody. Tell someone about it because word of mouth is an excellent form of helping this podcast out. So I would greatly appreciate that. Sharing it, word of mouth, telling somebody about it all means a lot. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, please consider subscribing if you haven't or you're new to the channel. Smash that like rating if you enjoyed today's episode and also share it on the YouTube platform as well. Those listening on the audio-only platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, and Radio Public, whatever you can find me on, it's where I am at. Please reach out to me on Twitter and on Instagram at Merce underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Like I've said, if you observe Easter Sunday, please have a blessed Easter Sunday with hopefully you're spending it with your family and loved ones as I will be. Take care. I'll see you next week on Monday's edition of Merce Boston Sports Talk. Love you guys. As you know, see ya.